Are you looking for a Father's Day gift or are you just missing baseball? Well, dugout mugs might be just the ticket for you. Uh, for one thing, they're, they're truth in advertising. Dugout mugs is a company that started in a college baseball dugout. True story. Um, and what they do is they produce mugs out of the barrel of a baseball bat, 12-ounce mugs from barrels of baseball bats. They're li- licensed by MLB, your favorite team, laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. It's uh, perfect for the big game or just to put on your, your mantle or display wherever you like to do that. It'll, it'll make it a life of the party. And it's a unique gift for a baseball fan. So whether it's for Father's Day or just to bring baseball back into your life, go to dugoutmugs.com slash The Athletic. Use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash The Athletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. 15. We have yet another update on the MLB negotiations, and we descend into a rabbit hole that somehow leads us to Zach Eflin. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-crews uh, yet. It worked great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, June 19th. It's Juneteenth. I'm Al Melchior. I'm here with Derek Van Riper. And DVR, uh, before we, we delve into the latest um, Players Union, uh, MLB Owners Update, um, I did a, a little bit of research earlier today just to see what I could find about what MLB teams are doing uh, in regards to Juneteenth. And the only thing I could really find was... Um, uh, a special that they're they're streaming on the website and I think on MLB Network as well. Um, but uh, I did see that several NFL and NBA teams are actually recognizing it, uh, recognizing Juneteenth as a team holiday. So am I missing any update there or uh, is that the, the the status as we know it? I believe the Dodgers and the Angels were two teams that uh, were reported to recognize Juneteenth as a holiday and, and close their offices on Friday. Other than that, I had not seen anything team specific. All right. Well, uh, I apologize uh, if we did uh, miss anything there. Uh, well, let's uh, DVR. Let's get into uh, the latest uh, in the the negotiations. And um, again, yeah, I know probably most of the people listening to this are uh, on on top of this as well. But just in case um, you know you missed a day, uh, there there was a little bit of a development in the past twenty four hours. The Players Association made a counter proposal to the um, proposal that came out of the meeting with uh, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark. So they countered the sixty game season proposal with a seventy game season and proposal and the owners reportedly are livid. Ah, so, uh, you know, we, we were so uh, optimistic the last couple of shows, or at least uh, certainly on, on Thursday's show, uh, things not looking so good uh, as of now. You know, I'm not going to really change course a whole lot. I think there's an old expression. I don't really even know where it began, but it was passed down to me when I used to host SiriusXM radio shows at Rotowire, uh, one of my producers, either Trevor Ray or Ivy Armstrong, maybe it was both of them kind of just agreeing that this is true. Uh, they always told me, you're never as good as you think on your best day, but you're never as bad as you think you are on your worst day, which is good advice because uh, sometimes you, you think you're cruising along and you're kind of just okay. And there's days when you're a disaster and 
actually you fooled everybody and kind of held it together. So um, I try to apply that mantra to these negotiations in that when things look close, I don't think they're as close as they seem to be. And when things look terrible, I don't think they're quite as bad as they appear to be. Um, and, and I think that's just a, a way of, of me coping with a situation where I actually don't think we get the full scope of what's really happening. We get snippets that are leaked and oftentimes leaked by designed to uh, certain reporters and you know they're they're meant to kind of shape the narrative around the conversation um and i I just i'm burnt out from it i think everybody's burnt out from it i think i'm still irritated with the owners because i think this falls entirely on them i realize there are two sides at the table uh, but i think it's very easy to just pull back and and see that even if the owners were to lose money for this one season, it is almost certain that they will make it back and much more than that in the years ahead. And I think that's why I just can't really get past blaming them for all of this. Yeah. Well, and I think it's probably clear to, um, you know, anybody that's listened to this show for the last few weeks that I'm completely on board with that interpretation of uh, how things have developed. And, you know, I also think that your, your coping strategy is a good one. I mean, not only just because it makes it easier to deal with, but I made this analogy on one or two previous episodes, but it this whole situation continues to remind me of the way that winter meetings are covered and that you have reports on day one that are supposedly really close to happening. And then by day three or day four, um, you have a completely different outcome. You have players that were, you know, on, supposedly on the verge of signing with one team that wind up with a team that wasn't even supposedly in the running just two or three days later. So, you know, we've gone just in the past, what, four days or so from uh, Rob Manfred saying he doesn't think there's going to be a season to being reports of uh, that he and Tony Clark were talking and they were close to something to, you know, I mean, it's gone back and forth two or three times since that report. So uh, yeah, I'm not, Try not to put too much stock into any one of these reports. The the one thing I will say is that um, there was a report, I think about two days ago at this point, two or three days ago, from Bob Nightingale, where he said that they were trying to have something ironed out by Saturday. That was the goal. And the latest that I've seen from Rob, Rob Manfred is that um, he's not in any particular hurry to counter this this latest proposal. And Saturday's tomorrow. So that worries me a little bit. If, if there's any reason why I'm taking this maybe a little more seriously, it's, it's just because of that. I think, I guess what, what it means to me, though, is that this is probably still part of that delay tactic that we thought was being employed earlier in the week. As Trevor Bauer outlined it, you can't enforce a shorter season right now because it doesn't run to when the regular season would normally end. And it becomes very obvious that you didn't, as a league, maximize the number of games played, which is part of the March agreement, right? That's where all of this kind of goes back to at this point. So I think the lack of urgency really kind of just plays right back into that narrative at this point. And that narrative really kind of checks out. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I mean, if if he's just waiting it out, maybe to get it back down to a 50 game season, then, uh, you know, something wouldn't have to be ironed out by this weekend. Um, they could probably wait another week or two, but, um, you know, that's certainly not ideal. And I would certainly rather see 70 games than 60. I understand that the union probably came forth with 70, hoping for like 66, but 
you know, hopefully this gets resolved sooner than later. Um, I know we're all we're all hoping for that. Smelling good is important, and thanks to Hawthorne, smelling good is easier than ever. It's time to move on from that old bottle of cologne, and time to start taking care of your hair and skin. Here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the products that are best for you, including two colognes, one for work and one for play, along with a full complement of shampoo, conditioner, body wash, deodorant, and lotions that smell great and are free of sulfate, silicone, and aluminum. All of Hawthorne's products are cruelty-free as well. You could even take the quiz for someone else to find the perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. Hawthorne is totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne. Co. DVR, I wanted to actually spend the bulk of this show talking about our um, athletic alternate universe simulation in Out of the Park. It's it's almost over. Um, in fact, we're just waiting on the final um, upload of games. I think we've got, you know, most teams have like six or seven games left to simulate in the regular season. I think that um, that's that simulation is actually supposed to be happening like right around the time we're recording this. So for all intents and purposes, this simulated regular season is is over. Uh, but I, I kind of wound up going down a rabbit hole that I think that that came out very indirectly from research that I was doing to talk about the um, alternate universe. So I think probably um, we'll wind up tabling that discussion for Monday when we really do have all the final results. Um, we're certainly going to talk about your Padres because I think uh, that's wound up being one of the most interesting and surprising teams in the simulation. Uh, but I was looking at leaderboards and, you know, looking for players to talk about, uh, people I didn't expect to see there. And I think you probably would agree with me that one of the most surprising names, if not the most surprising name to show up on a leaderboard is Eliezer Hernandez, who is, um, and out of the park on the leaderboards, they show the top eight in categories. He's like sixth or seventh in whip in this, um, simulation, lowest BABIP among, uh, the, the qualifying pitchers, uh, on the leaderboard. And, um, you know, so I thought we'd talk about Eliezer Hernandez and then I, I dug into his profile a little bit and part of that, um, simulated low BABIP, the, the appeal of that is it's, it's really, I think it's, it's backed up by his track record. I mean, he's somebody who gets a lot of high fly balls, um, also doesn't get a lot of hard hit fly balls, um, and maybe gave up more home runs last year than he deserved to. So I thought, oh, well, Hernandez might be an interesting, you know, kind of deep sleeper to talk about. And so in order to talk about Hernandez, I did a sort on Baseball Savant and thought, okay, who's a similar pitcher in terms of giving up a lot of high, not hard hit flies? So I looked at the last two seasons combined, pitchers who have uh, allowed at least 100 fly balls, with an average exit velocity exit velocity no higher than 92 miles an hour and an average launch angle um, no lower than 38 degrees. And here's the list, DVR. Eliezer Hernandez, Carlos Rodon, Zach Eflin, Justin Verlander, John Brebbia, Matthew Boyd, Mike Miner. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know, but like other than Hernandez, one name's stuck out to me. Cause I mean, I really like Brebbia. Um, you know, I, I think he actually could still like factor in for some saves for the Cardinals. Um, although at this point, I mean, um, 
Jordan Hicks sort of becomes more interesting the later and later the season gets started. But, you know, we've talked a lot about Mike Miner. We've talked a lot about Matthew Boyd, Justin Verlander. You know, we, we know the, the health risks he's coming in with, but, you know, he's still a, a top five pitcher in terms of ADP. Carlos Rodon, I don't think he's going to, you know, pitch much this year. So that leaves Zach Eflin. And so I started, started doing a little research on Eflin. And so I, I promise I'm, I'm going to, you know, finally get to the, the point here the kind of the bottom of this rabbit hole. I came across a piece by um, Jim Salisbury uh, of NBC sports, Philadelphia, and it was on how Eflin went back to remember when Eflin came up and he didn't strike anybody out. And then all of a sudden he started throwing harder and not throwing sinkers and start, you know, striking batters out at a good rate at the end of last season, like the last almost two months, he reverted back to throwing a bunch of sinkers and he actually was a lot better. Um, he only averaged about six strikeouts per nine, but over his last eight starts, he had a 313 ERA and a much, much higher ground ball rate. So finally, my question to you, DVR, is when you have a pitcher like this that makes a change that makes them more effective in real baseball, but they they lose strikeout appeal, um, I, I'm I'm assuming that the tendency is to discount that pitcher because we all like strikeouts. And also, the part of that Salisbury report was that um, he's he's going to he's planning to continue that approach in 2020. So how do you how do you deal with that? Because I've always kind of had a a little bit of a soft spot for guys who pitch to contact really really effectively, sort of you know the the Kyle Hendricks model. Um, so how, how do you respond to a report like that? Do you just not care and you're actually more turned off to, to drafting him at all, or or are you intrigued? I'm intrigued, but what I'm looking for then is above average command of multiple pitches. I think if you look at a player and they don't miss a lot of bats, but they basically locate everything they throw effectively, that to me kind of backs up the Kyle Hendricks sort of profile where the stuff is really not good, but the command is so good that it makes the stuff play up and uh, it reduces the the big errors, right? It usually leads to a lower walk rate and it often leads to a lower home run rate. Eflin is just weird because I I wonder if he ended up in a different organization with new pitching coaches and got out of a hitter-friendly ballpark. I mean, Philadelphia is one of the more difficult places to pitch in the National League. How much would he change? You know, I, I was excited about him as a prospect and the Padres drafted him as a, a early second rounder back in 2012 out of high school and especially when the K's started to show up in 2018. I thought it was one of those situations where I was on a player really early and was right to have been on them the entire time. And then last year happened and I was kind of second guessing myself. Um, But to answer your question, I think the key has to be command. Like if you're not striking a lot of guys out, you have to command your pitches really well because I think it makes it easier to reduce big mistakes and to uh, more consistently induce weak contact. So what do you look for to, to judge that? Um, I know Eno, um, a lot of times he writes using the, the command plus metric. Um, you know, I, I like to look at uh, the ratio of swings in the zone versus uh, swings out of the zone. Um, is, there, is there a particular thing that you're looking for to have confidence that that command is going to be there? 
Yeah, the other thing I would look for would be consistent year over year, um, like low BABIPs. And I mean, again, in isolation, this doesn't mean something, but it's more of just looking for something that supports uh, the command. Like uh, low, uh, you, could, you could look at the uh, X stats against individual pitches year over year and kind of see if there's anything in those underlying numbers that supports a pitcher being able to avoid damage that way. Uh, I, th- I don't think any of those things by themselves are perfect or going to necessarily lead you to pitchers that are exceedingly valuable all the time. But I think those are the little indicators you can get in the absence of something uh, like command numbers that you know Eno has from from driveline and from from other places. All right. All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I will uh, admit I'm intrigued. I think you've given me some good ideas of things that I can look at to uh, decide whether to put a uh, Eflin on my, my watch list, uh, whether it's for upcoming drafts, assuming we, we have those or, um, just, you know, on the, the watch list for fab or, or waivers or what have you, uh, before we, uh, before we do wrap up here, any, uh, quick words on your, your, um, out of the park Padres, uh, that are, are, uh, looking good at the near end of the season. Got a really big last series against the Dodgers. Fortunately, I catch them at home. I don't know if they're going to be resting. They should be because they've locked up home field, so they have nothing to play for. Uh, but I'm hoping to also pass our friend Nando Defino. He runs the Diamondbacks, and mm-hmm. uh, he's a half game ahead of me before the final sim. So if I can pass him, at least I would host him in the wild card game. Yep. Yeah, well, and the uh, Sim Angels have caught up to my my Sim Astros, uh, so. Uh, frittered away a pretty big big lead there so uh, yeah this final sim is going to be uh be meaningful for for my team as, as well so uh before we sign off here of course we are going to get to our featured read and this one comes from alex spire of the boston globe uh now some of you may have already seen rob arthur's piece um, where he analyzed scouting reports um for for uh white versus uh, black players And uh, so this is sort of along the same lines, but really expands on that theme, how racial bias can seep into baseball scouting reports. Again, that's Alex Spire of the Boston Globe. Um, Do check that out. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode and this week of Fantasy Baseball in 15. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier. We'll see you again on Monday. (laughs) 